Your picture is already hanging on the fridge. Black and white, three by five, unposed, unselfconscious. You, curled up and in profile. You, wholly contained inside of me. Here's what I know. I eat mass quantities of red meat, curse religiously, sing out of tune but with conviction. I cry when it suits me, laugh when it's inopportune, read the New York Times obituaries and wedding announcements out loud and in that order. You, you weigh less than a pint of milk. You are no longer theoretical, you are a girl. When the doctor told us today, he clapped, as if taking credit for the whole shebang, as if he were the one to transform you into an exclamatory event, from the intangible to the concrete, and it into a baby girl. I didn't want to disappoint him, but we knew I was having a daughter all along. From the first second we found out I was pregnant, just as we knew we would name you Charlotte. Your dad keeps correcting me. We are pregnant, he says, not just you. But are his ankles so swollen that it looks like he's under house arrest? Are his breasts hanging like water balloons? He may be expecting, but I am pregnant. A million women have peed on these sticks. You can do it, Emily. That's what your dad said to get me into the bathroom to make what we suspected official. I was nervous, though. And it took a good hour and a half until I went anywhere near the toilet. And then another one after that, because he came in with me and I got stage fright. But I did it, like the millions of women before me. And then there was a plus sign, which, after triple checking the box and confirming with a 1-800 number and peeing on a few more sticks, told us all we needed to know. I understood then, in a way that went beyond want, in a way that may have bordered on need, that you were going to be a girl. I understood, too, that nights like tonight were coming. Almost looked forward to them. When I would sit up while your dad slept, when my emotions would waver between excitement and fear. Your dad, who is made of sunnier material, who sings in the shower and doesn't knock on wood, whose body is curved toward mine now, eyes twitching in time to dreams filled with superheroes and award acceptance speeches, thinks my need to document my life for you by words and by photographs is a morbid indulgence. He wonders why I flirt with life's shallow paradoxes, the line between love and its opposite, the line between holding on and letting go. But it's not that simple, really. This chronic chronicling, this eulogizing of sorts falls outside my conscious choice. Sometimes I try to rewind 20 weeks to before, to remember when you are an idea, something we dreamt up in darkness when sleep wouldn't come. But even then, even in that pre-you world, I felt this compulsion to preserve us all into a pile of memory and render us indelible. One way to guarantee the crossing of any future temporal divide. You will always find me here, in these pages, even long after I am gone. And let's be honest, who knows how long I'll be around. We Haxby women aren't known for our lengthy lifespans. My own mother, for whom you are named, has been mostly lost to recycled anecdotes and left behind to the angles of a few arbitrary photographs. Not so much lost and left behind then, more distorted and distilled. 
and though I often find comfort in this airbrushed facsimile of who she once was, I long for the real thing on nights like these. And now that your portrait is on the fridge, now that there will be no living for me in a world without you, I pass along all that I can preserve. This story of how we became a family. Of your dad and me. Of Ruth and Grandpa Jack. Of my own father, who is awake right now too, busy assembling a crib with pink trim. This story of the dividing line I love and live and bequeath. The one that lies between remembering and forgetting. Commitment and liberation. Getting left and leaving behind. The line. Always the line. The same line that separates me from my mother. The same line that separates me from you.